This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with fingers crossed everybody knows the war is over everybody knows the good guys lost everybody knows the fight was fixed the poor stay poor the rich get rich that's how it goes everybody From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Meddling with the primal forces of nature. That's what I do. I meddle with the primal forces of nature. How would you like to have a boss like Ned Beatty? That opening clip, of course, is from Network. Hard to believe that movie came out 33 years ago, uh, but it is as timely as ever. And uh, that, of course, is, I, I think, one of the, the greatest speeches, perhaps, in film history. Uh, Ned Beatty taking Howard Beale to task for meddling with the primal forces of nature. If you haven't seen that movie, do me a favor, rent it. You'll never, you'll never see anything the same way again, I, I uh, guarantee. Uh, I have a couple of old friends dropping by a little bit later. They follow me around from radio station to radio station, and uh, this is their inaugural... Uh, visit now that I hang my hat here at 550 Queen Street East and Zoomer Radio AM 740. The the first gentleman is a um, a cryptozoologist. What is a cryptozoologist? You may ask. Well, he tracks and hunts down these creatures that uh, people occasionally see. These creatures, however, have not been identified, uh, cataloged, characterized by mainstream science. I'm talking about things like Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and uh, uh, Chupacabras and so forth. And uh, Bill Gibbons is his name. And he's also a dinosaur hunter. Uh, every, every, every couple of years, he makes a trek over to uh, uh, Equatorial Africa in search of a, uh, a creature that the local inhabitants of the area describe as, uh, well, resembling an apatosaurus, what we used to call a brontosaurus back in, uh, in, in public school, and they now call an apatosaurus, a living dinosaur. Wait a second, weren't they supposed to be extinct about, oh, 60 million years ago? Uh, so always intriguing when uh, Bill drops by. He'll be here. And also, 
another old friend who has been studying the good book, the scripture, for well over half a century and uh, wrote a book several years ago that was about 50 years in the making called The Seal of the End Times, in which he identifies the identity of the current and final Antichrist. Uh, He'll be here to talk about, well, what he does is he looks at the news and he sees in many of the headlines a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So Nils Hamron will be here to explain all. And we're just, we're going to talk about vaccines here in a moment. I got to tell you something uh, first, however, if you go to the website, richardserrett.com and up at the top of the homepage, there is a, a banner ad there for Camp FEMA which is a, a new film by William Lewis and Gary uh, Frankie, Camp FEMA, American Lockdown. And those two gentlemen will be on the program next week in anticipation of the Canadian theatrical premiere, which I will be presenting, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett and AM740, along with my good friends Patrick and Kadena down at Conspiracy Culture, on Saturday, October the 17th. Camp FEMA, Will You Go Quietly? And this is taking place at the Review Cinema here in Toronto, which is located at 400 Roncesvalle Avenue. And uh, the doors open at 6.40. The film starts at 7 o'clock. Anyway, click on that uh, banner ad, and it'll take you to Conspiracy Culture. And all the details are there. I'll remind you again before the evening is out. But it's next Saturday at the Review. And uh, the, um, the, the, the folks at Conspiracy Culture will also have copies of the DVD for sale. And uh, you can order, uh, you can shop, uh, right, you can purchase your tickets at Conspiracy Culture. You can, uh, you can order them over the phone using MasterCard or Visa. You can buy them at the door at the review. Tickets are like 5 bucks for uh, early birds for the first 50 tickets. Advanced tickets, 7 bucks each or 5 for $30. And at the door, $10 each. So go to richardserrett.com and, uh, and click on Camp FEMA, that ad at the top, and that'll take you to uh, all the details. All right, vaccines. I've done a lot of programs about vaccines. And one of the difficulties I've had is getting doctors to come on and debate the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Oh, you can get, you can get doctors to come on and talk about how they don't believe they're safe and they don't believe they're effective. But try getting these two divergent camps to come on together. I... Uh, My intention tonight was to do just that, but I couldn't get anybody, any physician, to come on and debate with my two guests. I uh, I spoke with a gentleman from a a hospital in Philadelphia, a rather prestigious hospital. I don't want to identify him, but he's with the uh, the Vaccine Information Center. And he believes very firmly that uh, vaccines are safe. And I said, well, will you come on and debate my two guests who don't believe they're safe? And he said... I make it a policy never to debate this issue because anyone who reads the science, all they, they must surely know that vaccines are safe. The, sci- the, the discussion is over. The debate is over. There's no debate. And he went on to say, and this is very telling, it would be like debating the Holocaust. And I find that at one level it's certainly offensive. For any, I don't have a, a family who, who, survived, who survived or perished in the Holocaust, but if I did, I would be very offended. But I just find that a very, uh, a very tiresome uh, argument that's thrown up anytime someone wants to stifle debate. 
I will not debate global warming because anyone who doesn't believe in global warming is akin to a Holocaust denier. I will not debate uh, whether 9-11 was an inside job because anyone who believes it was an inside job is a Holocaust denier. I will not debate anyone who doesn't believe that vaccines are safe and effective because anyone who does is a Holocaust denier. Thankfully, most intelligent people see through that rather facile and unsophisticated attempt to stifle discourse and debate. We are going to discuss vaccines. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not an immunologist, but I'm going to play one on the air tonight uh, because I'm, um, I'm joined by two very, I think, brave and remarkable individuals in their field. One is a board-certified neurosurgeon who doesn't believe vaccines are safe. And uh, he attended the LSU School of Medicine in New Orleans, completed his general surgical internship and neurosurgical residency at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina. He's the author of three books, including Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills, Health and Nutrition Secrets That Can Save Your Life, and Natural Strategies for Cancer Patients, Dr. Russell Blaylock. Welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Our, second, our second guest uh, received her bachelor's degree in diagnostic ultrasound, attended medical school, and received the Samuel L. Kuntz Award for Clinical Excellence in Surgery at graduation, trained to be a general surgeon at State University of New York at Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, which is the largest hospital and busiest trauma center in the United States. She left the practice of general surgery and allopathic medicine after realizing that no one was actually being healed of their diseases and she started researching alternative medicine while taking time off to start a family. After her only child was brain damaged, as she says, as a result of inoculations he received, she learned how to reverse the damage with homeopathy and other natural supplements and subs subsequently realized that inoculations of disease are causing the corruption in the immune system which leads to, she says, all autoimmune diseases and cancer. Dr. Rebecca Carley, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, Dr. Carley, you actually warned me. You said you're going to have a heck of a time getting anyone to come on here and debate uh, whether vaccines are, are, to debate the fact that uh, vaccines are safe. And you were right. I couldn't get anyone on. Yes. I do shows all over the world, and the only time I've ever gotten a white coat, as I call these minions, who just promote vaccines blindly without doing any research, uh, is in the island of Jamaica. I have a couple of um, uh, MP, MP3 files of those shows on my website, drcarly.com. Um, but it's very interesting. You know, they pretend they can't hear what I say, or they, they disconnect the line. Strange things happen. But, no, these people can't possibly say that vaccines are safe. All anybody has to do to begin with is look up any vaccine in the physician's death reference, and you'll see that even the vaccine Gardasil that's supposed to protect against cancer has never been tested to see if it causes cancer. Not a single vaccine has. So I'll just start out with that. Uh, Dr. Blaylock, um, as, a, as, a, as a neurosurgeon, what... How are you perceived uh, in, your, in, in your field uh, by your, your peers and your colleagues as someone who's coming out and staunchly uh, argues against the safety and efficacy of, of vaccines? Are you a pariah uh, in your community? No, you'd be surprised how many physicians agree with that position. And, you know, if you look at the results of the studies, uh, how many people take the, the uh, flu vaccine every year, uh, the group that it 
takes it least often is uh, medical personnel. Uh, the people who take it the most often is uh, people over age 65 that don't really know the, the science of it. But you would think, well, uh, apparently the medical profession knows something that everybody else doesn't know because they won't take it. How do, where do we get that figure? That I, I've often heard it cited that uh, you know most physicians won't even inoculate their own children. But where, is that just a, a, a rumor? Or where does that actually come no, from? That was uh, quoted on uh, WebMD uh, recently. There's an article on the swine flu vaccine. Uh, and it uh, quotes that is by Dr. Michael Braun, who's a professor of internal medicine at the University of uh, Oklahoma, uh, and he cites those uh, those numbers. But it's also other uh, studies have shown that it's uh, even worse than that. Uh, when you get to a specific vaccine, uh, something like 75% of doctors won't take it. Uh, so they recommend it to their patients, but they won't take it themselves. And I've had a, uh, some colleagues whose children have had very bad reactions to vaccine and really kicked themselves for letting them ever have the vaccine. Now, once you explain it to them, uh, what a vaccine does, what the process of, of this vaccination does, in particular to the brain, where it's my area of study, uh, most uh, reasonable people with a science education uh, would really think twice before they would uh, allow multiple vaccinations. Uh, what we have is most physicians are never trained uh, thoroughly in immunology. In medical school, it's about a two or three week course. So most physicians just barely know anything about immunology. Are you the right the right person to to? To talk to uh, Dr. Blaylock as a neurosurgeon, someone might say, well, you know, this is this his area of specialty. Why would a, a neurosurgeon know more than another physician about vaccines? Well, I know more about the neurological reaction of vaccination. I've written seven papers on it in peer-reviewed journals, uh, and uh, I am the uh, person who coined the term immunoexcitotoxicity, which explains the reaction in the brain to peripheral immune stimulation. Uh, so if you look on PubMed, which is a medical uh, uh, information site with all the peer-reviewed journals, you'll put in immunoexcitotoxicity. I'm the only name came up. That'll come up because I'm the one that uh, uh, researched that and put it together. All right, doc, Dr. Blaylock and uh, Dr. Rebecca Carley, uh, stay with us. Uh, back on the other side as we continue to discuss vaccines, and uh, I encourage listener input, your opinions about vaccines. And if you are, in fact, a, a medical doctor who would be willing to come on and defend vaccines, you would be most welcome at this point in the program. 416-360-0740, 740 1-866-740-4740, Don't go away. The vaccines are safe easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. So roll up your sleeve. Protect yourself. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740.
Vaccine skepticism is in the air. In a time when people around the world really are engaged in a fierce debate over the, uh, well, the World Health Organization, of course, is, is leaning towards uh, pressuring governments around the world to, to make a, a swine flu vaccine mandatory, for example. Uh, yet the skepticism is, uh, is with us, and, and, and so that's why it's so important to do this show. And I, and I, I really don't want to create a fear here. I, uh, I tell you, I've done a number of shows on vaccines. I've, I've talked to Dr. Russell Blaylock before. I've talked to a number of other people that don't feel that vaccines are safe. And uh, I have two small children. I had to, to make a decision. It's one thing to do a talk show about it. But then when you actually go into a doctor's office and the pediatrician is suggesting that your children need to be inoculated against meningitis, that's a whole different kettle of fish. I mean, now you've got to make a decision. It's one thing to talk about it, but then you have to make a decision. And uh, when it came to, uh, to to my kids, I mean, we... We decided to have some vaccines and not others. And uh, I tell you, we, we live with this every day. There's so much inf- misinformation and disinformation out there. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm confused. Uh, Dr. Rebecca Carley is uh, with us and Dr. Russell Blaylock, two uh, medical doctors who uh, do not believe in the safety and, and efficacy of vaccines. Uh, Dr. Carley, let me uh, again play the, the role of the, uh, the immunologist or the, the defender of vaccines. And the, the argument that there's nothing cutting edge uh, about vaccinations that have been around uh, since the end of the 18th century. And prior to the development, for example, of the small vaccine, a uh, smallpox vaccine, the disease had killed about 60 million people in the 18th century. And 80 percent of the children under five years old that were infected with the disease. And reports suggest that as many as one-third of those who survived a smallpox infection lost their sight as a consequence. So uh, many uh, historians estimate that smallpox was responsible for about 300 to 500 million deaths worldwide prior to the disease being declared eradicated by WHO in 1979. And they say massive vaccination programs across the world basically accomplished this and that's why smallpox has been literally wiped out. How do you respond to that? Well, the way I would respond to that, because uh, as Dr. Blalock said, medical students get almost no training in immunology. They get absolutely zero in vaccinology. Uh, Where I would start is to go to my website, drcarly.com, where you can download a book entitled Horrors of Vaccination Exposed and Illustrated, written in 1920 which gives the facts about what the smallpox vaccine really did. And um, I'd, li- I'd just like to say it's, it's even the verbiage that's used that's a fraud on its face. When you said about your children being vaccinated against disease, what you have to understand is they're being inoculated with disease. That's what's being done. And a very important point that I would like to bring up is that in medical school, we learn about the germ theory uh, purported by Louis Pasteur, who was a total fraud. There was a man alive at the same time as Louis Pasteur by the name of Antoine Bechamp who proved that it's not the the germs that are causing the problem, it's the toxicity of the body. And if your body's very toxic, then these germs can actually morph and mutate and transform into more virulent or pathogenic organisms because that's their job. If they think you're dying, that's their job to decompose your body. So the key to health is to um, detoxify yourself 
to eat good food, drink clean water, and things of that nature, breathe good air, it's not to start injecting yourself uh, with viruses and bacteria. There is a vaccine promoter by the name of Paul Offit at uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who, of course, developed a vaccination, the rotavirus vaccine, so he has a very high stake in promoting vaccines. He actually made a comment at one point that um, children can handle 10,000 vaccines at one time. So I always try to bring things to the next level to show the insanity of such a statement. So I guess to really protect ourselves, we should put a, a bunch of germs into an IV bag and stick it in our arm and just walk around infusing ourselves with germs 24-7. Uh, it's totally insane. And I want to bring up another very important point because it's not just um, the germs, the bacteria and viruses. It's the other things in vaccines that are even more dangerous, especially the adjuvants, things like squalene, which is going to be in the swine flu vaccine, even though they're, they're telling us, the CDC is telling us it's not going to be in the vaccine. Well, they pulled the same crap in 1976 when they did this before with the swine flu vaccine. And there was an excellent expose about this on 60 Minutes back in the days when 60 Minutes actually did investigative journalism where they interviewed the person that worked for the CDC who did get fired over this debacle, and he admitted that the vaccine that they tested was not the same one they ultimately gave to the population, which killed 300 times more people than the, the swine flu did and ended up causing many people to be maimed for life, especially with a neurological condition called Guillain-Barre. So it's all of the other things in vaccines, including the tissue culture that is used to grow the viruses. Um, and there is a package insert for the rabies vaccine on my website uh, by Pfizer. It's the first time I've ever seen a vaccine manufacturer admit right in the package insert that the tissue culture used to grow the viruses causes autoimmune disease. Dr. Rebecca uh, Carley uh, yes. and uh, Dr. Russell Blaylock on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, AM740. Uh, let me, uh, we'll, we'll come back to some of those points, uh, Dr. Carley, but I wanted to ask Dr. Blaylock. One of the... Uh, the, the debates that has been front and center in terms of vaccines is the, the supposed link between autism and uh, vaccinations, or more specifically the, uh, the MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And this has gone back and forth. One study says there was a link, another said there wasn't. Uh, there was, there wasn't, and, and people are pulling their hair out. And uh, uh, there, I guess the, the ground zero for this was an article published in the British medical journal The Lancet about 10 years ago by uh, Andrew Wakefield and his colleagues at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Uh, and, but the paper focused on what I understand was anecdotal evidence from 12 patients suffering from a bowel disease that Wakefield attributed to their having received, again, a dose of the MMR vaccine. And some of these children subsequently were diagnosed with autism, and uh, now they're saying, or they postulated, that, that that autism could have been the result of the bowel disease that in turn might have been caused by the vaccination. Now. Twelve patients. That's pretty anecdotal. Where do we, I mean, has that been put to bed now that the link between autism and, and this MMR vaccine is, 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 I mean, was that scientifically sound, that study? Well, I, you know, I don't uh, put all the weight on the, the evidence on that study. There's a much more powerful study. Uh, in fact, uh, the study by Gallinger and Goodman in 2008 done at Stony Brook University Medical Center which involved uh, 1,800 children, and uh, that was with the uh, NHANES study, 1999-2000, uh, as the uh, uh, patient population. And what they found 
was that the incidence of uh, uh, autism was 8.6 times higher than in the children that did not uh, receive vaccine. Now, a subsequent study, which used the National Health Information Survey, which is a much more accurate uh, group, uh, when they looked at uh, children who had been vaccinated with uh, the marisol-containing vaccine found a threefold uh, increase in autism. And uh, another study done by the CDC under Thomas Fair Straiten, uh, and I reported on one of the uh, secret uh, conferences in which they tried to cover this up, but in this they found that the incidence of neurodevelopmental disorders like autism was increased 11.5-fold and that's from the Centers for Disease Control data. Uh, so uh, we have other studies that are much more powerful. Now, one of the things that Dr. Offit makes the comment is that there's no biological explanation as to how it can cause autism. Well, as I said, I've written seven papers in which I explain in, in great detail with hundreds of references to the neuroscience literature explaining the exact uh, biological mechanism by which vaccination produces all the neurodevelopmental disorders, including uh, autism and ADD and ADHD. Now, I've defied him or anyone else to, to uh, show that this mechanism is not uh, a uh, well-recognized biological methodology. Uh, but uh, they won't accept that challenge because they don't know enough about how the brain a uh, particular immune system involves microglia and astrocytes. All right, we'll get to some. Do that. We'll get to some calls uh, when the conspiracy show returns here on AM seven forty. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, heard every Sunday night from eleven p.m. to one a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM seven forty. This segment of The Conspiracy Show deals with medical information. The advice you hear is solely the opinion of the guest and does not reflect the position of AM740 or MZ Media, Inc. Dr. Russell L. Blaylock, surgeon, author, lecturer, educator, and Dr. Rebecca Carley, MD, are uh, with us to discuss the safety and efficacy of vaccines. They... uh, would it be safe to, to characterize your position, uh, Drs. Carley and uh, uh, Blaylock, that no vaccines are safe? Is that accurate? Well, I would go one step further and say that vaccinations are the true weapons of mass destruction. In fact, um, under the North Carolina general statutes, they have the legal defini- definition of a biological weapon of mass destruction, and it is any method that has the capability to cause death or serious energy, uh, serious injury through the release of a disease organism. And in fact, the documents I have on my website, which no scientific journal will ever publish because I go to the genocidal level, the intentionality of all of this, um, I have proven beyond any question um, that the vaccines are in fact the biggest epidemic the world has ever known, i.e. vaccine-induced diseases. It's not just the neurological diseases. It's insulin-dependent diabetes, asthma, allergies, arthritis, cancer. Um, it's pretty much the entire field of internal medicine. Dr. Blaylock, are, are any vaccines safe? Well, I think as they're manufactured, no, I wouldn't say they're safe. And the studies tend to show that. You know, there's a study out of Japan which looked at five different manufactured vaccines and found that 60% of them 
uh, were contaminated with organisms that are known to cause cancer or other diseases. Uh, the most common was uh, pestivirus, which can cause miscarriage and malformation. Uh, so we know that these, these uh, vaccines are contaminated because they're grown in living cells. And the virologists themselves, in fact, Dr. Hilleman, the, the uh, number one vaccinologist in the world, has stated that there's no way to remove these viruses from the vaccine, uh, that these cells contain literally hundreds of, of uh, pathogenic uh, viruses and mycoplasma. So I think, it, as uh, Dr. Clark said, you're, you're vaccinating people, injecting them with uh, living organisms that we know cause human disease. So I don't think they're safe. Uh, I don't think, and according to what Dr. Hilleman says, the world expert on it, they cannot be made safe by the present technology. Let me talk about a, a very controversial ingredient in some quarters, and that's thimerosal, which is a preservative that's used in the manufacturing of some vaccines, and it supposedly prevents the, the growth of bacteria and, and fungi while the, the vaccine is, is being grown in eggs. And the biggest concern about thimerosal is that it contains mercury. However, uh, my understanding is that there is no scientific, scientific evidence linking uh, thimerosal with any health conditions, including autism. And in fact, by the time the flu vaccine is ready for use, the traces of the preservative are so minute that the vaccine is considered to be thimerosal-free. Well, all of that is based on a grand lie being perpetrated by the manufacturers of vaccines. There is abundant, uh, hard scientific evidence that even minute concentrations of mercury are extensively brain toxic. And uh, I've written a number of articles on that with, uh, that are uh, very well referenced. Uh, you can look at them on my website at uh, russellblaylockmd.com. You can go through the literature. There's thousands of articles written on the toxicity of mercury to the brain as well as the rest of the body, so that's an absolute lie, uh, and uh, it's provable. There's a very strong biological explanation of what mercury does. The studies that they quote are always epidemiologic, and if you uh, look at the scientific literature, they all say that the easiest study to tell a lie with is an epidemiologic study, and it is the least a reliable type study and the one that can never prove anything. Even Offit admits that. Uh, I heard him in an interview in which he said uh, epidemiologic study can never prove anything. Well, the biological studies, the intense biological studies right down to the cell signaling level, uh, does prove it, and it's no question about it. Uh, so I would say that anybody that says the aerosol is not neurotoxic and toxic body is lying and covering up information. Now, the fact that you think you need to put it in the vaccine to sterilize is also a lie. We use multiple medications that are multi-dose vials without any uh, of uh, thimerosal in it, and I've never had a patient get infected from an injection. So it is not necessary that you put it in the, the vial, even a multi-dose vial. Uh, and now they're recommending the seasonal uh, flu vaccine, which has a full dose of mercury, just like it's always had, uh, even though they've reduced the, the dose of mercury in the swine flu vaccine. So these children are being recommended to take two doses of mercury-containing uh, seasonal flu virus. So uh, again, uh, they're spreading a falsehood and deceiving uh, 
the American public and, and public in Canada. Let's go to the phones and uh, say hello to Lee. Welcome. Hey there. Go ahead. You're on the line with Dr. Russell Blaylock and Dr. Rebecca Carley. I wanted to add a couple of things. Um, the, the show is important in many ways. I personally did an environmental studies graduate degree, and during that time, uh, out of personal interest, looked into the flu shot that was being pushed about 10 years ago. And from a personal perspective, I used to get the flu shot like everybody else, and then I'd be sick for months afterwards. I decided to look into the ingredients, including formaldehyde and such, and I found warnings that people with any immune or chronic illnesses should not take the flu shot, and yet health commercials promote that these are the people that should be taking them. I stopped getting the flu shot several years back, and I have not had the flu since. So it makes me wonder if this is a form of societal genocide of those who are vulnerable with the pretense of actually saving lives. All right, Lee. Thank you for the uh, the call. All right, Dr. Blaylock, did you want to add anything to that before we move on? Well, it, it is ironic that if you look on the CDC side and, and the government uh, recommendations, uh, if they recommend it for people who have immune suppression, people who have chronic illnesses, well, those people are not going to re- respond to the vaccine. And uh, that's in the medical literature. If you look in their own literature, it says that those people will not respond well to the vaccine and get no protection. But what they will get is a high incidence of immune disorders and uh, other uh, abnormal reactions to these vaccines. So you're putting them at a very high risk and deceiving them into thinking that they need this for, for their protection. And, and it, it's, again, a, a grand lie. Mary, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. I have a question. Um, is the tetanus shot as bad as other vaccines? And can it make you sick like a flu shot can? Yes, the tetanus shot is one of the vaccines that's very likely to cause neurological damage. And it's one of the uh, vaccines that they actually admit on the vaccine information statements that it could cause seizures or death, for example. Of course, the numbers they give are, are always very, very low compared to reality. But yes, um, the tetanus shot is just as bad as the rest, in my opinion. All right, thank you for the call, Mary. Uh, Doctors Carly and and, and Blaylock, either of you can jump in to answer this, but let me uh, ask you about um, uh, polio. Wasn't the polio vaccine responsible for basically eradicating uh, that that dreaded disease? Although, I mean, it's made a bit of a comeback in certain quarters, but wasn't it the vaccine uh, that, uh, that eradicated polio? Well, that's the lie they tell us. In fact, the polio vaccine actually caused polio. The polio caused by the vaccine, they, they gave it a different name, aseptic meningitis. It's the same thing they're doing with autism. Autism is actually subacute sclerosing pain encephalitis in a non-fatal form caused by the measles virus. And um, there's a very good book, Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective, that people can get from thinktwice.com that actually goes through all that propaganda. All of these diseases, once they were injected into people, actually caused more disease. In fact, the oral polio vaccine is no longer given in this country because the only people that got polio were the ones that took the vaccine. Polio went away because we developed sanitation and sewer systems, and people no longer had to eliminate, you know, in the street. That's how polio was eradicated in, in reality. 
Uh, Dr. Blaylock, if the science uh, and the hard data is on your side, why would the World Health Organization be uh, be pushing for mandatory uh, swine flu vaccines? And 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 why why is there any any doubt then uh, uh, about uh, the efficacy and safety of vaccines if the science and data is on your side? Well, the secret of the World Health Organization is really not a secret. It's well known that they have powerful influence from the uh, manufacturers of these vaccines. Uh, These companies work very closely with the World Health Organization. There's a lot of money exchanged. There's a lot of donations from the major uh, vaccine manufacturers that goes to the World Health Organization. And, of course, the World Health Organization's number one program is population control. Uh, some of these mass vaccination programs can induce infertility. Uh, they can induce in pregnant women miscarriages. And th- this is what uh, absolutely terrifies me about them recommending pregnant women uh, take this swine flu vaccine. There is compelling evidence in the, the scientific literature that that will create a dramatic increase in autism in their offspring and schizophrenia. Now, that's well established. And it's not due to the virus. It's due to immune stimulation in a pregnant woman. Uh, now, that, that science is solid, but they're totally ignoring it, recommending that uh, uh, thousands of women, uh, pregnant women, get vaccinated. Now, uh, in this, uh, the literature that's recently released, they found the risk of a woman being hospitalized who's pregnant from the swine flu is one in 300,000. Now, I don't think that justifies uh, vaccinating every pregnant woman and putting her child at this enormously high risk of, of uh, autism and schizophrenia. Uh, you know, so uh, these people are so deeply involved with these pharmaceutical manufacturers, and that's true of the CDC, it's true of our government, it's true of public health, uh, it's true of governors uh, and uh, legislatures that are passing these mandatory laws. When you do the investigation, you find that they're uh, up to their neck in pharmaceutical money uh, that is pushing this. Because this swine flu is the weakest flu ever known. It shall go down in history as killing fewer people than any flu in recorded history. You know, realize only 4,700 people have died in the entire world. Uh, about uh, 400 to 500 people in the United States. Now, they claim every year 36,000 die from the flu, and here only 500 have died in the United States. It's already gone through the southern hemisphere. They didn't see any of the mass deaths that they are predicting now. Uh, in fact, it was relatively mild. When you look at pediatric deaths, it is the lowest uh, of the last uh, two flu seasons. So we have an extremely low pediatric death, extremely low hospitalization rate. So all of this fear-mongering over this swine flu, it is the weakest flu we've ever known. So while they're continuing to insist that everybody be vaccinated and vaccinating pregnant women, if you look on the uh, uh, article that I uh, quoted, the Michael Bronze article from uh, WebMD, he admits that there are studies in animals that show that when they're pregnant, it can cause malformations in the baby and brain injury. Uh, and he also admits there is no studies in humans 
to show the safety of those babies when you vaccinate pregnant women. We know the Gardasil vaccine induced spontaneous uh, miscarriages and malformations in the baby, and they quickly stopped recommending Gardasil for pregnant women. So we've always known that you should never vaccinate pregnant women, and here they are saying they are on the priority list. Now, that's to me, is uh, absolutely insane. Uh, we're led to believe that, that vaccines only have their maximal uh, benefit when a high percentage of people have the confidence to seek vaccination, or I guess they call it the herd immunity uh, that ensues. And, and that, that, that uh, supposedly means that diseases can't spread person to person. Even small numbers of people that would refuse a vaccine, uh, we're told, could have a dire health consequence, and perhaps that's part of the, the fear-mongering. But, but uh, there is a, there's a very high-profile spokesperson out there against uh, vaccines, and, and uh, that's Jenny McCarthy. She has a, a son with, with autism, and she's been taking to the airwaves to talk about these, um, these uh, theories on vaccines and autisms. But then there were these newly, report, uh, newly re- released figures that showed that um, in, in the UK, for example, there were about 1,350 confirmed cases of measles in England and Wales uh, last year, and two deaths, which compared to about 56 cases in 1998, which is sort of the year before Wakefield's paper came out spawning this, this, this fear in vaccines. So when, when, when we have fewer people getting inoculated, it seems uh, at times we have these little outbursts in, in uh, you know, new cases of, 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 of measles uh, or, uh, you know, other, other diseases that, that normally we wouldn't see. How do, how do you respond to that? I mean, the, the, the fear of vaccines, fewer people getting inoculated, and then all of a sudden measles re- rears its ugly head again. Well, the whole thing of, host, uh, of herd immunity is a myth, and, and that's easy to prove. For a number of vaccines uh, that uh, existed, for instance, the pertussis vaccine and, and diphtheria vaccine and the, uh, uh, the tetanus vaccine, they thought it gave lifetime immunity uh, back 40 or 50 years ago. Then, uh, after about 30 or 40 years, they discovered that actually the immunity was not lasting uh, more than four, ten years at the most. So that meant for at least 30 years, possibly 40 years, the vast majority of this country, uh, over half, had no uh, vaccine-induced immunity. So herd immunity did not exist. Well, we didn't see a sudden explosion of these infectious diseases and mass death that we're always told will occur. Uh, So that alone tells you this, this is pure nonsense about herd immunity tetanus vaccine ran out 10 years after it was given. I've never had another tetanus vaccine, and most of the people my age have never had one since they were a child. We've seen no increase in tetanus whatsoever uh, in the United States or in any other country uh, that's developed. And uh, so, you know, this is, this is something that they use as their fear uh, weapon that if, oh, if we drop below that magic 85 to 95 percent of people vaccinated, uh, the, all these mass deaths from infectious diseases are going to return. Uh, but it, it, as your other guest said, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, better nutrition and it's better public health and sanitation 
which has prevented these mass deaths from ever occurring again. Okay, we'll take a quick time out, come back with Dr. Russell Blaylock and Dr. Rebecca Carley. Vaccines not safe and not effective, they say. This segment of The Conspiracy Show deals with medical information. The advice you hear is solely the opinion of the guest and does not reflect the position of AM740 or MZ Media, Inc. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. The dinosaur hunter Bill Gibbons and Nils Hamren will count us down to Armageddon after midnight. Right now, doctors Russell Blaylock and Rebecca Carley are with us. Two medical doctors, mind you, who uh, do not believe vaccines, any vaccines, are safe or effective. And uh, again, I, uh, as the disclaimer says, consult your physician. I, um, I am obliged to, uh, to put that disclaimer out there. Uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Carley who mentioned uh, uh, Dr. Paul Offit from the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and with the, uh, the Vaccination Information Center. And uh, I know that uh, uh, he has been um, the subject of Incredible uh, uh, hate. Uh, it's, it's almost getting to the point now where, where um, out, uh, doctors that are um, uh, speaking uh, in favor of vaccines are, are being targeted. It's, it's certainly not as, I mean, they're receiving death threats. Uh, it's not as bad uh, yet as, say, um, you know, uh, 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 doctors that perform abortion. Of course, a number of those have been killed. But I'm just, how do you, and I don't mean to make this a straw, do, a straw man argument. I mean, uh, but do you not find that the level of debate here is getting, is just ratcheting up and ratcheting up? I mean, we could have a tragedy here at some point. Well, I would just like to comment on that because, in fact, as you discovered yourself, there's nobody that will come on and debate Dr. Blaylock and myself on these issues because obviously they know that this is true. And I just want to mention something about what you were saying before about these outbreaks that are occasionally occurring with measles and such. Um, do they ever mention in those articles whether or not the children were vaccinated? Of course, measles, uh, the MMR, has live measles virus in it. One of the ways I started investigating this was going back into my medical books. And there's a very important book entitled Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Doctors all over the world read this book when they're studying internal medicine. And in the sixth edition on page 943, which was the edition I studied when I went to medical school in the early 80s, it said, and I quote, rarely is prevention of infection per se considered to be an important goal of vaccination. In fact, asymptomatic infection after vaccination can serve to enhance and prolong the immune response. So the translation of this is they're giving you the disease. And then they go on to say that viruses persist in host tissues for months or years without causing overt disease. A flare-up of these latent infections may be induced by trauma, intercurrent disease, or decline in antibody titers. And as Dr. Blaylock said, when you're giving an injection of viruses directly into the body and bypassing a very important part of the immune system called secretory IgA that 
is activated in the upper respiratory and GI tracts when your coughed or sneezed on, um, you can't have the proper immune response to push the virus out. So that's something that people have to always ask when they're reading about these quote-unquote outbreaks. How many of those children were vaccinated, and is that, in fact, why they can't um, fight the infection? These diseases are not killer diseases anyways. This is how children's immune systems learn how to work. All right, uh, Dr. Blaylock, uh, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Carley. Uh, again, I was just trying to characterize the, sort of the nature of the the uh, the debate. I think it's an important debate to have. I'm just uh, I mentioned the death threats against Dr. Paul Offit, and I'm wondering how you feel about uh, whether this is is uh, is 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 frightening to you that the fact that it is getting uh, so uh, well just bloody angry out there. Well, you know, the problem is is that people are frustrated. You've got literally tens of thousands of people whose lives have been destroyed by these vaccines. You've got families whose lives are ruined forever because of what's been done to their children. So there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration because the national media will not cover any of these, these uh, points that we're making. They don't want to interview us. Uh, all they want to do is take somebody like Paul Offit carry him around all the networks, roll his eyeballs, and just like you introduced this program, say, oh, well, anybody who doesn't believe that vaccines are perfectly safe is just like a Holocaust denier. Well, the Holocaust was a historical fact. We're talking about a scientific uh, disagreement. Now, in no science is it ever settled. I don't care what it is. You keep studying it forever because we've had example after example of things that were just the standard of belief, and a 100 years later after we restudied it, found out that we were completely wrong. So these people are entrenching themselves. They do not have the science on their side. They deny all of the massive amounts of scientific studies that have been done that show harm, show biological mechanisms, show contamination of these vaccines, show that the immune reaction to vaccination is completely abnormal and likely to produce autoimmune disorders, and yet they just choose to deny it all. Now, if you want to talk about deniers, they are the denier. And Paul Offit himself said it in an interview. He said, I, I just discount all of these studies outside of the epidemiologic study. And, we, and he even admits at the end of the, end of the interview that epidemiologic studies can never prove anything. <clears throat> so how can they say, oh, we've proven absolutely there's no connection to autism or neurological disorders or any other disorder uh, by an epidemiologic study? He just finished saying that you can't do it, and that's what the scientific uh, uh, world says. Epidemiologic studies do not prove anything. But the hard science, the stuff that we're quoting, is the closest to the truth because uh, it is looking at not just uh, animal studies, it's looking at cell studies, it's looking at cell mechanisms, it's looking at known toxicology, it's looking at infectious rate of these vaccines and how they're produced. We're looking at this at every way you could possibly examine it and finding major problems. They just choose to ignore it because there's huge profits. And if you look at everybody that's promoting mandatory vaccination, it always seems that they're connected to these pharmaceutical companies. Just like the Gardasil uh, Merck uh, manufacturers going to state legislatures secretly, passing out money to get them to pass 
uh, mandatory vaccination from Gardasil to 12-year-old girls until they were caught doing it. Uh, now, that's the kind of dirty tactics that infuriates people. When you take their 12-year-old daughter and you force them to have a vaccination that can take their life, leave them paralyzed, suffer with a life of seizures, sure they're angry. And uh, you, you can't blame, blame them for that. Any, do either of you have a, um, a handle on how many uh, uh, people each year are uh, severely injured or killed, allegedly, by uh, uh, various vaccines? Well, you have to realize that the VAERS uh, uh, data collection by the government uh, is voluntary. There's no mandatory reporting of these vaccines. Now, it's been estimated, even by uh, the, the uh, proponents, that only 10% of vaccine complications are ever reported. Well, every year, 100,000 vaccine complications are reported. So that means there's, there's at least a million people having complications from their vaccine, and probably a higher number than that. Uh, and I would suspect there's subtle brain damage in these children getting this 36 vaccines before they start school, uh, that they have subtle damage that changes their behavior, their learning ability, their language function, uh, that's just being totally overlooked by the pediatricians and the medical world. No one wants to look at this, uh, but everyone's remarking about how young people are having trouble with their, their memory, the ADD, the autism, the autism spectrum disorders have just virtually exploded uh, when they started this mass vaccination program of, of young children during their period of most active brain development. Uh, you know, the first two years of life is one of the most active development periods of the brain called synaptic uh, 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 growth. And uh, you're hitting them with 26 sequentially given vaccines, as many as five and six and nine at a time. All right, I've got to take another quick time out. Uh, stay with us, Dr. Carley and Dr. Blaylock. If you've got a line, uh, listeners, hold on to it back to uh, your calls as well. When the Conspiracy Show continues talking vaccines, don't go away. This segment of The Conspiracy Show deals with medical information. The advice you hear is solely the opinion of the guest and does not reflect the position of AM740 or MZ Media, Inc. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Just a reminder, I will be co-presenting the Canadian theatrical premiere 
an exclusive Toronto engagement, one screening only of Camp FEMA. Along with, as I say, Conspiracy Culture, and that is Saturday, October the 17th, and at the uh, Review Cinema, 400 Roncesvalles Avenue. Doors open at 6.40, film starts at 7.07. It's general admission seating. And uh, if you go on to uh, richardserrett.com and click on the Camp FEMA banner, that'll take you to... uh, a page giving you all the details you need on ticket prices, etc. Camp FEMA, Saturday, September the 17th, Review Cinema. I will be there uh, presenting. Hope you'll uh, join us. All right, a few minutes remain with Dr. Russell Blaylock, who is uh, an educator, a, a surgeon, a neurosurgeon, uh, author, and uh, also uh, Dr. Rebecca Carley, who um, received her bachelor's degree in diagnostic ultrasound, attended medical school, and uh, uh, trained to be a general surgeon at State University of New York at Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, where she worked as an attending emergency room physician. And uh, both say vaccines are not safe and not effective. Let's go to the phones and welcome Ross to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Ross. Hello, uh, Richard. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Go ahead. Yes, your question, comment, please. Yeah, I don't have much to say. I didn't get my kids vaccinated. That was years ago. I went to, I think it was City Hall, and I got an exemption. I just explained why I didn't want them to be vaccinated, and they gave me written exemptions for them. So I'm assuming that anyone can still do that. Um, A friend of mine, actually, who ran for councillor in the last election up at Tiny Township, he's an environmentalist like myself. His name is Walter. He got the flu shot a few years ago, and he came down with Bell's Palsy. So I told him it's probably the flu shot that did it, and he said, no, I, probably not. So he got another flu shot, and he came down with it again, and it's permanent. He can't get rid of it. His face is paralyzed now because of it. All right, Ross. Uh, uh, doctors Blaylock and Carly, uh, any connection, as far as you know, between Bell's palsy and uh, the flu shot? Well, neurological, every kind of neurological damage you can imagine can be caused by vaccinations, and... Um, I just want to mention in terms of the um, incidence of vaccine damage, as you were talking about before, um, I do consults for people to teach them how to reverse their vaccine-induced diseases, and I've never had a single person ever have a pediatrician admit that, especially seizures, because as I said, that's one of the things that's actually admitted to in vaccine information statements can be caused by vaccinations. They never admit that the vaccinations did it. But yes, I mean, it's self-evident, you know, as I always say, if you stub your toe and the toe gets red and, and purple and gets all swollen, uh, it's obvious that you hurt yourself when you stubbed your toe. It's truly amazing how you have a perfectly normal child or any adult for that matter or a pet because the vaccines are damaging the pets just as much as well. And they get a vaccination and they have some terrible situation that occurs in them afterwards. And yet what do the medical professions say? They always say it's just a coincidence. Well, you know, if you look at the biological principles involved, we know when you massively stimulate the peripheral immune system, that is in your body, like a vaccination, it instantly activates the brain's special immune system called the microglial system. That causes those cells to secrete high levels of inflammatory chemicals and excitotoxins that damage the synaptic connections and dendrites in the brain, and that produces seizures. Now, that is a biological mechanism that is well-established. It is well-established. You can vaccinate animals with certain vaccines and produce seizures. You can reproduce virtually any neurological disease you see in humans. 
And there's a new study just came out by Dr. Hewitson at the University of Pittsburgh in which he injected baby newborn uh, uh, monkeys with the hepatitis B vaccine, and they developed serious uh, delayed uh, development of brainstem reflux. Now, that was just from a single vaccine. Realize the children are getting 36 to 40 vaccines before they start school. Now, she's going to continue this study to see what happens when you multiple uh, vaccinate. Well, we know in animals, if you vaccinate them with an immune stimulant, it will produce significant inflammation of the brain. And this is exactly what was found in the autistic uh, cases uh, in the Vargas study in Johns Hopkins. Uh, they found that the autistic brain was uh, inflamed as long as uh, four decades with extensive microglial activation. Uh, well, when you produce this in an animal by vaccination and you see it in the autistic brain, I don't know why they say it's not biologically plausible. And Offit, uh, for instance, admits he doesn't understand neurology. He knows nothing about it. Well, if you don't know anything about it, listen to the people who do. And the science very firmly says that if you stimulate the immune system the way they do with these vaccines, you're going to produce brain inflammation chronically and brain damage that will produce seizures, it'll produce MS, it'll produce language problems, developmental delays, everything we see in humans. Uh, you just can't ignore this this very powerful evidence that we have. Dr. Carley, you see something very nefarious going on here. Uh, you, you believe that vaccinations are uh, part of perhaps some sort of a, uh, uh, a depopulation program. Uh, uh, is, is that accurate? Yes. Well, as Dr. Blaylock said, that's one of the main focuses of the WHO is to decrease the world's population. And uh, they can't come right out and tell us that that's what they're doing, but it's self-evident, as Dr. Blaylock said. The evidence that vaccines are causing uh, all kinds of uh, death and suffering is, is just over the top. As a matter of fact, sudden infant death syndrome in almost all cases is from vaccinations. Uh, one of the things that vaccines do to the brain that he didn't mention is something called demyelination. That's another process that occurs uh, in the nervous system with vaccinations as well. So the evidence is overwhelming. They continue this despite all the evidence to the contrary that vaccines are good or effective or safe. And, um, of course, you realize how could they possibly admit now that they're wrong after all the damage that they've caused. They've gotten themselves into a position now where to say, oh, we're sorry, we made a mistake. I mean, just imagine uh, the backlash that would occur. If this uh, swine flu uh, pandemic, so-called, uh, uh, doesn't turn out to be much of a pa pandemic, and that certainly looks like the case right now, although we're told the second wave is, is, is going to happen very shortly. But let's, there'll be another pandemic uh, in, in two years or five years. And the, the, they keep, I say they, governments keep ratcheting up the pressure to, uh, I, I believe, to, to, to make these uh, vaccines mandatory. Do you think that that is inevitable at this point, that th these, these vaccines will be mandatory, flu vaccines? Well, unless well, I we have an outrage from the public, yes, they're going to do it. They're determined to do it because yeah. they're in bed with the pharmaceutical manufacturers and uh, they're pushing the government to make this mandatory because they're going to make billions of dollars off these vaccines. Just look at the, the results of the effectiveness of this swine flu vaccine with 
was re recently released in the New England Journal of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health uh, newsletter. It said uh, children aged 6 to 35 months, the vaccine produced no protection in 75% of the children. Aged 3 to 9, the vaccine produced no protection in 64% of the children. So here's a vaccine by their own study, which was done by the pharmaceutical companies, by the way, uh, which shows that this vaccine has extremely, extremely low uh, ability to even produce neutralizing antibodies, which is not really a measure of, of your protection. Uh, and that the Marisol that will be in the other vaccine, the seasonal flu vaccine, is known to be an immune suppressant. So that puts you at even higher risk of developing the flu, and that's why a lot of people get the flu shot, and then they get deathly ill from the flu, uh, uh, from the wild-type flu, and it takes them months to recover from it because the mercury is powerfully suppressing their immune system. Well, that's well known in the scientific literature, and that's been known for a very long period of time. That's not disputed. They just choose to ignore that. Dr. Carly's, uh, Doctors Carly and uh, Blaylock, I, I thank you for your time tonight. Let me uh, leave people with uh, some websites. Dr. Blaylock, your website is www.russellblaylockmd.com. That's www.russellblaylockmd.com. And uh, Dr. Carly, your website is www.drcarly.com. That's D-R-C-A-R-L-E. Y.com. I'll link up to your sites on my site at richardserrett.com. Thank you very much for your, your time, and hopefully down the road I can, uh, I can get a, a physician to come on and actually debate you. But uh, I think we did the best we could tonight. Well, I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and I encourage people to check things out for yourself and just say no. I agree with Dr. Blaylock. The people have to take a stand and say that they're not going to allow this to happen. That's the only thing that's going to stop it. All right, there you have it. The Dinosaur Hunter, Bill Gibbons, when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You can follow me on Twitter. Website again, richardserrett.com. But I urge you to visit a new website that I have that contains some potentially very exciting news about a new television project I'll be involved with. The website is theconspiracyshow.com. And uh, from there, you can link back to um, the Rich, uh, richardserrett.com. But theconspiracyshow.com uh, will uh, keep you up to date on uh, uh, what's happening with the TV project. Yes, we are hoping to take this uh, program to television and... Uh, it's, it's too early uh, to, to, to say too much right now, but uh, all I can say is that uh, myself and uh, my partners in this venture are very uh, uh, positive and upbeat and optimistic, and we should know perhaps in a couple of weeks. So, theconspiracyshow.com. All right. I uh, want to remind you that uh, Nils Hamron will be with us at the bottom of the hour. That's 1230. Uh, and uh, he'll talk about uh, some things in the news that he sees are a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Right now, Bill Gibbons, Dr. Bill Gibbons is with us. He is a cryptozoologist. He's a creation scientist and the author of Missionaries and Monsters, and it's a great delight to have him on my brand new home here at AM740 Zoomer Radio. Hello, Bill. You're too kind, Richard. 
Bill, uh, for those not uh, familiar with what you do, I mean, you 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 certainly uh, track uh, uh, sightings of uh, strange creatures, and every so often you head over to Africa in search of what is uh, appears to be a living, breathing dinosaur. And when we say living dinosaurs, we're not talking about a coelacanth or an alligator, which are technically living dinosaurs. We're talking about uh, the type of dinosaurs that we learned about in public school but were told were extinct 60 million years ago. Indeed. And you yeah. were over in, in, uh, in, uh, in Cameroon, uh, I believe, around, was it January uh, of this year, your latest expedition? March and April. March uh, and April. It was uh, the, 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 the television series Monster Quest, which is a History Channel production, um, decided that they wanted to add to the new series um, a show on Mokele and Bembe. And uh, they wanted to go early this year, which is totally the wrong time of year to go, uh, because the animals are most active in the wet season between October and January. However, uh, we decided that um, for the sake of accuracy, myself and my fellow explorer, Rob, uh, Rob Mullen, from uh, Manhattan, Kansas, uh, should be involved, and so we did agree to go along, and uh, we took them into an area where the people had seen the animals fairly frequently. And I think that overall, and you've seen the show, yes. um, it, 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 at first they were skeptical, but after interviewing eyewitnesses and seeing the Barker people, commonly referred to as pygmies, drawing a perfect depiction of a sauropod dinosaur in the ground, complete with body armor, dermal spikes, and even brand-new development, even a, 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 uh, an air sac similar to a bullfrog, which it makes vocalizations, um, it surprised the film crew greatly, and I believe they came away as believers that Morkele and Bambi is indeed a living animal. Uh, but again, because this wasn't the rainy season, these, uh, these creatures, which the pygmies uh, uh, see quite uh, regularly, uh, and in fact, in some cases, have hunted, they fear this creature, uh, the, the name Mokeli Mbembe means in their in their dialect uh, uh, able to flow the stem of rivers or something. That's how, that gives you an idea how large it is. But because you went during the, the the dry season, these things weren't to be found. They were holed up in their in their mud burrows. Is that right? That's right. The animals um, for the dry season they go into these large chambers or caves, um, which are usually washed out at the at the sharp ends of rivers. But sometimes you'll find a cavern and they'll enlarge it by sweeping out mud and silt. And they'll repose within these chambers during the, the dry season, uh, where the chambers are, of course, sealed up from the inside. Now, this is not unknown in reptilian world. I mean, crocodiles are the same thing. And um, reptile hibernation is called brumation. It's quite different from mammalian hibernation, where mammals will go to sleep for a long period of time. The re reptiles become sluggish and uh, and uh, their metabolism slows down, and it's purely due to the lack of food that uh, is found in the dry season. But when the rivers in the wet season fill up and the swamps fill up with water and there's more food in abundance for them growing, then they come out and spend that four or five months of the year feeding and, uh, and we believe, reproduction. Uh, it all falls in perfectly well with uh, what we know of, uh, of this cycle of reptile reproduction, hibernation, activity, and so on. And all that, by the way, is in my new book, which will definitely be coming out uh, in November. Ah, congratulations. This is a, a book dedicated to um, your expeditions in, in search of Mokele and Bembe. 
Indeed, it, uh, the working title is In Search of Mokili and Bembe, Africa's Living Dinosaur. In spite of the fact on the show they had one skeptic, I mean, there's all the skeptics, that's understandable. Um, it's very hard to explain why tribes people who live deep in the forest or, or at least along the river's edge and who spend most of their lives fishing and hunting around the rivers and swamps can, can uh, draw a depiction of a sauropod dinosaur so convincingly and give us information on specific zoological information on the animal's physiology, which they would only know if they were experts on dinosaur physiology. So it's quite clear that these simple tribes people, who are intelligent and astute in their own right, but who are largely illiterate, um, could have that kind of intimate knowledge unless they are talking about a living, breathing animal that they are familiar with. If, if, if people want to see uh, the episode that you did for uh, Monster Quest uh, for the History Channel, uh, In Search of Michele and Bembe, uh, where can they find that? They can find that on YouTube. Uh, just go to YouTube and type in Monster Quest, uh, all one word, and then after that, uh, after Monster Quest, you type in The Last Dinosaur and it will bring up the entire episode on our search for Mokili and Bembe in five segments, but I'm sure that it will be of interest to the listeners. All right, Cameron Lake in on Vancouver Island. Uh, they've got their own little monster out there, the Cameron Lake monster. Is it anything like uh, Ogopogo or Nessie? Very similar. Um, beautiful Cameron Lake is only 16 kilometers or 10 miles from Waterton, uh, which is a small town and, uh, near Waterton Lakes National Park. Um, and it's one of the most uh, enchanting places you could visit. Um, now, John Kirk, who is the president of the British Columbia Scientific Cryptozoology Club, um, has just returned from there. Now, he was um, sent out there by, um, I guess, one of, the, one, of the, one of our tourist organizations to um, investigate claims that the locals are seeing a large serpentine creature. Now, John was at first very reluctant. Um, to kind of believe that something in a, sm a relatively small lake, like Cameron Lake, could live there. However, as he was operating uh, some sonar equipment, um, he picked up something that was at least 12 feet long or more um, in 60 feet of water, um, moving very quickly into a shoal of fish and scatter them all over. Now, he was very surprised to see this. And this was only in about 60 feet of water. He thought at first it might be a giant sterile eel, which can grow to a very large size, or a sturgeon of some kind, although sturgeons have never been reported in Cameron Lake. But many of the locals, up until fairly recently, have, have stated they've been seeing things, serpentine creatures 30 feet long or more, moving along the surface of the lake. So there's definitely something very unusual in Cameron Lake. All right, uh, Bill, until next time, uh, listen, I can't wait to get my, uh, my copy of uh, In Search of McKelly and Bembe. Congratulations on the publishing uh, of that book. Thank and, you. Uh, Hopefully one day I'll be on your television show, Richard. We'll, uh, we'll keep you uh, abreast of that for sure, my friend. You'll be in front of the line. Well, thank you. All right. Bill Gibbons and the website, creationgeneration.com, creationgeneration.com. And uh, we'll hook up with Nils Hamron, counting down to Armageddon. Don't go away. Calling all time travelers, vampire slayers, and alien abductees. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 
800-584-7400. Yeah, keep those uh, numbers handy. I'll tell you why. We're going to work uh, Nils Hamron in on the uh, program in just a moment, author of Seal of the End Times, to talk about uh, how headlines in the news are, in fact, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy as we march inexorably towards the end times. And uh, he, of course, uh, tackles this from a biblical perspective, having studied biblical prophecy for over a half century. Uh, but those numbers, those phone numbers that you just heard, I, I urge you to use them because um, after we speak with Nils, I'm going to do something on the program I haven't done here in, uh, this is week eight, I believe, here at uh, Zoomer Radio, my new home. And that is a, a night of spine-tingling tales. And this is where you get to participate. In fact, your participation is not only desirable, but it is essential for the smooth running of the uh, the program. I'm going to ask you for your spine-tingling tales, which means your personal encounters with the paranormal or the supernatural. If you've seen a ghost or if you've seen a UFO uh, or had some unexplicable uh, nighttime visitation, shall we say? Let me be deliberately vague about that, and you can fill in the blanks. We're talking the paranormal, folks, and uh, this is the sort of information perhaps you don't share with friends and neighbors and colleagues because you're afraid you'll be laughed at. Well, this program exists to provide you with a safe platform so that you can talk about these things, and you will be treated with respect. So, after we're finished with Nils Hammond, we're going to open up the phone lines, and we'll... uh, We'll hear your spine-tingling tales. That being said, he is the author of Seal of the End Times, in which he reveals the identity of the current and final Antichrist, and he's here to uh, count us down to Armageddon, fresh from uh, his home in uh, Somerville, New Jersey, and End Times Publishing, Nils Hammerin. Hello, Nils. Hello there, Richard, and... uh... Congratulations on your brand new show. Well, it's good to have you uh, aboard here. And I understand uh, down there in New Jersey, you can pull in AM740 just dandy. Well, believe it or not, I was listening to the good doctors, and uh, they were coming in pretty good. Once in a while, they wash out. You know, it's either a solar flare or some such effect. But um, when they come on strong after the uh, flare passes, it's very clear. Well... The, uh, the clarion call here at Zuma Radio is from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota, so you should be able to pick us up in the, uh, the good old Garden State. It also depends on the size of the radio. I know a bigger radio would bring in uh, the weaker signal when it does fade down. It seems to happen about every 15 minutes. All right, Nils, let's talk about what you do best, and that is uh, a glean from the, uh, the headlines uh, what you see is a, a fulfillment of, of a biblical end times prophecy. Now, uh, Iran, of course, front and center in the news again. Uh, we are now being told uh, via a confidential report compiled by senior officials at the UN that Iran already has enough knowledge to build a nuclear bomb. This was reported in the New York Times on Sunday. And according to the report, senior staff members of the International Atomic Energy Agency concluded in an analysis that Tehran has acquired sufficient information to be able to design and produce a workable implosion nuclear device based on highly enriched uranium. What do you make of that? Well, it's scary because basically um, the implosion device is actually the trigger for an atomic bomb. You do need that to 
compress the bomb momentarily into a tremendously tight, high-pressure uh, zone, and then it uh, converts and goes into a, uh, an atomic reaction. This is very important, and apparently they got this information most likely from Russia. Uh, Russia has a hand in all of this uh, in the background. They are feeding Iran with uh, very, very sophisticated missiles, very sophisticated radar that can see over the horizon for several hundred miles. Uh, they have missiles that uh, can actually be launched and will track a distant target, maybe 200 miles away, and they will fly at low level, something like uh, 200 feet above the ground, until they reach that target, and then we'll go up to whatever altitude that target is and take it out. That target would very likely be Israeli planes. Um, it's getting to the point where it's almost suicide for Israeli fighters or bombers to attempt to take out uh, the nuclear facilities there in Iran. It, it's not something that is 50-50. Uh, it's more like a 10-90 proposition that they're not going to make it. Now, before I ask you uh, how this uh, might uh, be a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and I'm and I'm 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 guessing that, of course, if if Iran has nukes and were to use them, that might trigger World War III, which is just you know another step along the way to the tribulation and uh, the battle of Armageddon, etc. But let me ask you this, and I've always been confused because there's so much misinformation and disinformation and and uh, contradictory information about whether Iran has nukes or not, and uh, a, a, a large part of me tends to believe that uh, although the regime in Iran is most distasteful, uh, that uh, a lot of this is is deliberate, uh, a deliberate demonization in, in order to usher in some sort of a, uh, uh, a war with Iran. For example, um, this report today out of the New York Times saying that Iran has the capability now. Uh, but then... We heard uh, earlier on in the spring from um, top U.S. defense, uh, intelligence defense people that Iran does not have uh, the enriched uranium or the fuel needed to make a nuclear warhead. And um, the, the Israeli officials are saying, oh, but they do. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just confused by the whole thing. And I'm wondering, what's your take? Do you, do you think it's possible that Iran doesn't have key nuclear material, and in fact, they are, they're being, uh, we're being sort of led down that whole weapons of mass destruction argument that we all bought into before? You know, this is the way things go when it comes to uh, international disasters. Misinformation plays a huge role, and the intelligence gathering capabilities of the United States is highly questionable. Uh, the information, in fact, uh, a long time ago, I had the CIA in my office, and they were trying to get a handle on prophecy as regarding uh, future events. And uh, I did help them out. I gave them a chart of the Shabur clock, which uh, I've come to realize is unique only to the Earth. It's God's clock as far as the Earth is concerned. On another planet, the Shabur clock would work differently. But anyway, they, they took the information... Just let me interrupt, for those uh, not... Uh, the Shabuah clock is, is basically uh, the, the clock that counts us down to the end times, correct? Right, and the thing is that we're in the middle of this, this disaster with the clock. Uh, we have only one tick on the clock left, and I'm talking 
uh, not uh, a guesswork and not surmising uh, from uh, others' opinions. This is the type of information that I've been able to confirm over and over again uh, with actual dates and with counted uh, uh, points on the clock and everything else. We are just before the beginning of the last tick on the clock, and that is Shabuwa 350. There is no other Shabuwa beyond 350. And this is not a joke. This is very real and reveals in the past, thousands of years ago, actual dates for actual events, uh, such as the falling of uh, Jerusalem to the Babylonians. The historical date is 606 B.C. The uh, Shabuwa clock says no, it was 603 B.C. And that is now proven. All right. So you know, what does what does a biblical prophecy uh, say about uh, how, how World War III will be triggered? Does it say anything about Persia attacking uh, Israel? It does not say Persia is the main cause. The Bible is very clear that Russia is the main cause. And it's not because Russia lends military might to Persia, which is Iran or Turkey or any other country. It's because apparently it gets to the point where Russia, for some reason, uh, actually not a logical reason, because the Bible states it's not Russia's idea. Uh, however, they are put on this irreversible course of uh, trying to eliminate Israel, just as the Arabs have been trying for so many years. So, in other Russia words, has the military might to in, do it. In other words, uh, according to the, the 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 biblical prophecy, Russia is going to be somehow drawn into an attack on on Israel. Is is it possible then they would do so on behalf of a third party, namely Iran? Let me draw you a scenario. They would have many other countries with them. In fact. Just about all of the uh, Islamic countries, of course, would join in. And uh, one part of the glory of getting rid of Israel once and for all, uh, the other part of this prophecy is that we have reached a point where the covenant of grace, which was imposed when Jesus died, will begin to be lifted. This means that divine action will become more and more visible more and more irrefutable. Uh, right now, people, uh, let's say, in the United States, they say we're not a Christian nation, but <clears throat> actually we are. Something like 73% of the world would tell you uh, that they are Christian, I mean, uh, in this U.S., that they are Christian, attend a Christian church uh, when they want to, but most of them don't know much about prophecy because the churches are not teaching it, uh, it's a bad subject to be on because it does involve uh, terrible events. We are in the end times, and uh, uh, you, if you're going to know what to, uh, to expect, you're going to have to discuss the prophecies and say to yourself, okay, this is what's going to happen. What am I going to do about it? Okay, let me just see if uh, here, uh, a scenario, because according to uh, biblical prophecy, you're saying that it is Russia that will attack Israel that will trigger the Third World War and yep. they'll be sort of drawn into this conflagration. Is it possible then, uh, this scenario, where uh, Israel, uh, fearing the uh, Iranians and their development of nuclear weapons, will launch a preemptive strike, much as the same as they did against a nuclear reactor in Iraq back in uh, the early 80s, 1981, I believe. Is it possible that something like that might happen, where Israel will strike Iran preemptively, and this will cause uh, the... Um, 
uh, the other countries, namely Russia, to get in, to get involved? This is a possible scenario. We don't know if that really does act as a trigger. We do know that the Israelis have decided three times already to launch a strike. And they uh, set out upon this strike with their uh, low-level bombers, low-level fighters. They had to cross Iraq in order to reach Iran. And as they crossed Iraq, they were intercepted by U.S. fighters. And they were told in pleasant terms, please turn around for your own good. Uh, You're not going to make it. Russia has very serious weapons that we know about and you may not know about. Best thing for you right now is just to hightail at home. And for three times, they have turned around and gone home. All right, Nils Hammerin is with us, End Times Press. We'll uh, take a quick time out. We'll talk about, uh, we were talking about vaccines earlier. When we come back, we'll talk about Verichip's new invention. In fact, its uh, shares jumped 186% due to a patent on their swine flu pandemic detecting mini microchip. We'll tell you about that. Is this the sign of the beast? Nils Hammerin will tell all when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Nils Hamron is with us, the author of Seal of the End Times. I believe you can get a copy down on um, Queen Street at Roncesvalles here in Toronto from our good friends at Conspiracy Culture. Or you can order it uh, directly by calling 908-725-6252, Nils, another interesting story. Oh, before I do that, let me remind people, um, after we let Nils go, we're going to open up the lines. If you have a a spine-tingling tale, an encounter with the paranormal, a ghost, uh, some uh, dark specter uh, that you'd like to share, uh, please give us a call. All right, Nils, uh, Verichip. Now, this is a, uh, um, a, a company uh, that is um, actually traded on the, the stock exchange. And uh, they've just developed this new patent uh, or new invention. And as a result, their shares jumped 186%. This is a swine flu pandemic detecting mini microchip. And it would be implanted in, in humans... Uh, which would allow people to, uh, it'd be like an early warning device to find out if you had some dangerous pathogen coursing through your veins. What do you make of this? Well, it's really strange because I'd like to preface what I'm going to say by uh, people that have seen that uh, uh, Born uh, film called uh, Born Identity. This film starts out with this uh, captain of a fishing vessel digging a chip out of Born's back. And uh, there is the chip, and it's actually from a bank. It, it's uh, for some kind of a deposit in that bank, and you need that chip to get that uh, money out. Um, but what I'm saying here is that a whole new industry will be developing over time, which will be to just de-chip people. You will be able to go to a center or a doctor or somebody that specializes in this if you've been given some kind of a chip by the government or some doctor or surgeon. Uh, you can get this chip removed. Reminds me of that horrible, uh, uh, cheesy science fiction movie back in the late 70s with Farrah Fawcett. I think it was called Logan's Run, where people had some sort of a tracking device 
um, in, in, implanted in the in the palm of their hand. Uh, but again, the idea of this is that it would be um, an implantable radio frequency. Yes. And it would allow people from a distance, I guess, to, uh, well, it would alert the user, in other words, the person who has the chip, to the presence of a, a pandemic threat uh, or a virus. So would someone else be able to, from a distance, determine whether my technical producer, Dan Ellison, has the swine flu just by scanning him? You need, you need a scanner in order to read that chip. The chip is very small, four-tenths of a millimeter square. And uh, it is so small, it could actually be injected with a special injector. Uh, and you would think you were getting a um, viral uh, pandemic uh, injection, but you may be getting a chip along with the injection. Now, the uh, chip itself uh, can report a virus. That's its main function, that there is a virus present in the body. The problem there is that any virus in the body is not really uh, necessarily dangerous. So the next part of the uh, chip is to classify that virus, which it does, and then it has a third function, and that is to identify this exact virus and give its name. So this means that apparently uh, Receptors LLC, which is a division of Very Chip, which uh, designed this thing, apparently knew some of the criteria of future viruses which means that if you're going to have a chip in your system that's identifying a virus that's still not on the planet, uh, it means that information about this is being passed on to people that uh, need to know. So uh, this, this, this Verichip is, is so small, it could be, in fact, uh, injected uh, subdermally without our knowledge. Uh, is, is it possible that, 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 that we all already have these, these uh chips in us and we don't even know it? Anybody that get, is getting an injection or has something to do with, let's say, an injury that has to be sewn up by a surgeon and uh, temporarily you're knocked out so you really don't know what's going on, you have no idea what's in that wound or was what was placed in your body without your knowledge. Very quickly, Nils, is, is it possible that this uh, Vera chip is, in fact, the mark of the beast foretold in Revelation? No, I don't believe it is. I think uh, when we get to that part, it's going to be something even more uh, unbelievable. All right, Nils Hammerin, author of Seal of the End Times, thank you, and uh, we'll speak again, Nils. Stay well. Okay, Richard. All right, we've got a spine-tingling tale on the other side. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. All right, this is our first kick at the can at a, uh, a, a, a spine-tingling tale segment here at AM 740. So let's see what strange tales are out there. Anna's in Toronto. Good morning, Anna. Hi. Hi. Good, uh, good night, Richard. Hi there. Uh, first, I want to congratulate you with, um, for your show. I uh, received a flyer in my mail, and I was amazed that we could have a show like this um, in, on the radio. It's, uh, it's a pity that it's so late um, in the night that uh, sometimes I'm so tired that I, 
I fall asleep from some parts, and it's so interesting. And your first line is, there is more to this world that we can see and that we can imagine, I believe. Something happened to me um, in the late 90s, um, back from Portugal. Um, it was like around 3 a.m. Um, near the sea, um, up on a cliff, and I was uh, with a friend. Uh, it was a clear night, and it was totally night, though. And suddenly, for a, a fraction of seconds, um, it became day. But it was like something like appear and disappeared, but I'm sure that I saw it because my friend saw it too. Otherwise, today I would doubt if I really saw it was like a fraction, something like past past or was, was there. So a fra- for a fraction of a second, night a fra- was turned yeah, into day. A fraction of a second, it was day, totally that, day. That sounds like something biblical, right? Occasionally. Big, big, huge. I, I mean, it was like light. And I was awake. It was 3 a.m., but it was like I was very awake. And the other person, too, my friend, and and I registered that in my journal. Uh, I, I know exactly what was the day. I don't know now because I didn't have time to go to look in my little journal. But at the time, I wrote it down, but it, it was something very important. Later on, I married my with my actual husband, and uh, we shared this interest for this, um, these things. And with his... Um, He's a fisherman, and he's, he fished near the sea, on the sea during the night, too. And him, too, saw some lights coming from far away, and he passed just above his head and disappeared. And it couldn't be a plane. You know, we know the difference. Uh, we know the difference with a plane or things like that. I mean, we are used to. It's a country with um, a good weather. We are sure that it was something that it, there is no explanation. Are you no suggesting, uh, Anna, that your husband, a fisherman, witnessed a, uh, a UFO? Oh, yes, and I, I believe that, for my part, it could be only something like that, too. And so you think that what happened to you when, when night was turned into day was as a result of some massive uh, flying uh, saucer? Yes, that was... like a UFO very, very down, very close you know, to the, to, the, to the cliff, and it was so close and, and passed so fast, but it made light and went out right away because it was fast, but it made light at that point. And um, I never shared that with anybody, I'm telling you. Uh, well, I'm privileged, or I feel privileged, uh, Anna, that uh, you would Only uh, with my husband, with of course, uh, but uh, never, never I talked about it. I just wrote it on my little journal. I kept to myself, and I'm always questioning things, uh, about the vaccine that you talked about too, uh, and um, yours. My husband the other day was is reading a lot uh, Portuguese writers because he knows um, he doesn't know how to speak English. Otherwise, he could tell you so many other things that he's into it. And like your um, uh, guest was telling, that it's a huge bigger things than we think, sometimes well, like bigger than we think. Listen, Anna, uh, here's something that's bigger than you think, and that is the number of people that have, have seen UFOs. And you, you, you needn't be shy about, uh, about telling people that you think you saw a UFO. I'll tell you why. Since, this is according to a United Nations report. Since 1947, 150 million people, okay, 150 million people, that's half the, uh, the size of the United States, um, uh, b- believe they've witnessed a UFO. I know, it couldn't be like some kind in our head, or sometimes they think people think that we're crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you that, but I'm kind of shaking because I believe, I believe because of, on what I saw. And, um, and uh, my husband the other day was reading something, and he was asking me, do you know why um, they don't let the planes passing through the poles? They have their 
proper routes for the planes because they don't want them to have encounters because people, those leaders, they know that things are happening at the poles of the Earth. Well, there is a theory that there is an opening at the uh, the North and South exactly, Pole into like the center of the Earth. dimensions, yeah. And this is possibly where uh, UFOs are emanating from. They're not intergalactic. They're right here uh, inside the Earth. Uh, Anna, a great uh, a pleasure speaking with you tonight, yes, this morning, and I hope you'll call me again. And uh, I look forward to... Uh, to another conversation with you. All right, my uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Russell Blaylock and Dr. Rebecca Carley for our discussion on vaccinations. And uh, I'm anticipating a, a flood of emails, uh, perhaps from those who disagree with uh, the, these doctors and uh, those who believe vaccines are safe. Uh, I'll tell you, the time to, uh, to, uh, to have uh, discussed this was on the air tonight. It's too late if you send me an email. That's why we throw open the phone lines and encourage you to call in and discuss and debate. And uh, uh, you're not going to get, unfortunately, much of a response from me other other than than that. You know, next time, please call the program. That's why we do talk radio. Uh, my thanks also to uh, Nils Hamron and Dr. Bill Gibbons, Dan Ellison, of course, for uh, technical production. And uh, back next week, we'll uh, be uh, talking with the, uh, the principals behind a new documentary film called Camp FEMA. And again, I'll be presenting that film Saturday, October the 17th, along with Conspiracy Culture at the Review Cinema in Toronto. Go to my website, richardserrett.com. Click on the Camp FEMA banner, and it'll take you to uh, a webpage with all of the, uh, the details about ticket prices, etc., etc. Hope to see you there. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.